Welcome back to the Behind the Wall Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, sitting here with author Jonas Everett. This is the second time in two weeks. I told Elias, the plaid planner, he's officially fired from the show <laughs> for at least one more week. How you doing, Jonas? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Good, good. We were talking about um, some some neat things before the show, but you were telling me about something called availability bias, which I've never heard of this. Maybe tell me a little bit about what that is, because I think that's a little bit interesting, the theory that you were you were explaining to me, Jonas. Yeah, we always talk about uh, during downturns like we had in, in January, I think the, the markets went down 7%, depending on what you're in. The media always goes bonkers, right? Uh, during downturns. Well, the media also does one thing too, and that's that makes different investments and different classes of investments more available to you uh, from the advertisers and the companies that are out there. So in other words, uh, give you an example. If, if you're a young person or if you're anybody and all you're seeing are Bitcoin commercials, then like you said, Roger, at some point, um, that is available to you and that doesn't, uh, you know, that kind of rings home as something that, uh, oh yeah, I've heard of that. I know about that. I know some people that have bought that, but actually it's a, uh, it's a bias because you haven't done any research. Um, and it's just available in your brain. That's all it is. It's, it's absolutely may or may not be a good investment. You haven't done any research. The only thing it is, it's available to your brain based on advertisements, or based on what the uh, the media said. The same thing with the S&P 500, the same thing with uh, um, a, a lot of the investments that are out there. So as an average investor, you have to watch out for uh, availability bias because uh, as you know, Roger, when we construct or create a one-page financial plan, that takes, that takes a lot of research. I think um, I think the concept is fascinating and people don't think about it but you you specifically used the word bitcoin and whatever it is the more you hear something the more we feel comfortable with it we're like oh yeah I know what that is your point to your point but no you don't you didn't do any research I think back to the pandemic when the pandemic first hit and we've been doing this for the better part of 20 years, you and I, Jonas. How long have you been doing this? 27 years, something yep. like that? 27 years. 27 years ago, if you had something similar to the pandemic, the natural human response was, I probably want to get out, right? It happened in 2008, 2009. When the pandemic hit, I had so many more investors calling and asking, should we buy in? Should we convert Roth IRA? Should we do all these different things? And it wasn't a fear of this market collapse. It was more, how do I be opportunistic about it? And they got me really thinking during the pandemic why this was happening. And I believe why it was happening is exactly what you're talking about, this availability bias. Because if you looked on social media of any kind, and pre-2008, Social media basically was not that relevant. It, it kind of existed. MySpace, I think Facebook came out in 04, but it wasn't mainstream like it is today. But if you were watching most financial articles on on mainstream media or you know social media at that time, it was all talking about, hey, why to stay the course? Why to be opportunistic? None of the verbiage was around why to panic. 
So during this time of the pandemic, I was getting people calling me, Hey, should we buy this? Should we invest money here? And it was just a really, really, really different dynamic from 2008 nine versus today. So I see exactly what you're talking about, not just in one type of an investment, but maybe people in general are so tuned into what they're seeing that you can almost condition them. Well, you look at uh, everybody's, the most investors portfolios uh, have have never had an accident on their Carfax report in in distant memory or in recent memory. So, um, and what I mean by an accident, you hit the nail on the head. Two thousand and eight and the nine eleven days where um, account values were sliced in half. Um, if you own stocks, if you don't have that available in in your brain, you have a very clean Carfax. Uh, well, let's call it a portfolio fax report. Uh, you, you have no fender benders. And uh, um, in, in some ways, it, it's a great thing because we, we, try to, uh, we try to make people as optimistic um, as possible. And it actually worked uh, the last time if you bought in uh, in March or April of uh, 2020 after the, uh, uh, after the COVID crash, uh, then, uh, then you actually were able to buy some bargains. But uh, yeah, kind of this is how I remember it. I just kind of look at it as a Carfax report. And uh, if you get five stars on your portfolio, you haven't had any problems the last uh, 10 years, then uh, why not? You know, if it goes down, why not buy in? But, uh, you know, ultimately uh, the, the safe the best bet is to do a financial plan, right? Just to make sure that uh, that your dollars will replace uh, your retirement income. I mean, that's what it's all about. Money in now for money out later. Yeah, you're exactly right. And we're, we're actually putting together a plan for a business owner right now. And, you know, you work with a lot of business owners. You understand this. Most business owners put their whole life into their business. And typically, and I shouldn't say typically, but many times they fail to save for their own retirement, right? They're, they're just saying, Hey, my retirement's going to be my business. I'll sell it or I'll work longer. Well, I had a younger gentleman come in and said, Hey, I want to make sure I'm on track for retirement. And he basically started nothing at this point in time. He's in his forties. He's grown a business, does $6 million of sales. So it's a little different for him. He's not saying, Hey, am I on track? He wants to know strictly what do I need to do? to be on track. How much do I need to save? What's the savings rate? And it's all the things we can nail down in a one page financial plan for somebody. If you need that plan, you can go to btwellshow.com, click get an advisor. Um, while you're there, pick up one of Jonas's books. He's authored two books, the upside down retirement. And what was the first one, Jonas? A no budget life. So by, I, by the way, I'm the, I'm the best selling author um, in Hiawatha in between 14th Street and 16th Avenue Court, 15th Avenue Court right there. I'm the, I, I know I am because my wife bought like uh, uh, over uh, over three dozen copies of this thing. So, <laughs> Well, no, I, and that, <laughs> I appreciate your first book. It was I like that. I, I, I subscribe to that type of a budget. But um, right. on a lighter note, you were talking when you came in that, you know, you, you what was the bet you made that didn't work out? You, you bet. You bet the Hawkeyes would win, or you bet against the Hawkeyes? Oh, I bet against the Hawkeyes, so. So you lost. So I lost. And why well, would you ever do that? I don't know. I had another buddy said he's been making all his money betting against the Hawkeyes, so I'm confused <laughs> now. <laughs> well, I don't know. I knew uh, with my luck they would play lights out if I did that, so it worked, well, out. It worked out both ways. 
we're gonna, we're leading into one of the biggest betting weekends of the year. We have the Super Bowl, and the Super Bowl rolls around, and people bet on everything. The coin flip, I think what color hat somebody's going to wear. I don't know. I think you can bet on everything. Am I right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Prop bets. Let me ask you a question. Who are you going to bet on this weekend? Well, based on the outline, I, I want to bet on the Rams. I'm betting right? on the Rams, too. <laughs> Why is that? Well, I talked about it briefly last year, but there's actually something called the Super Bowl Market Indicator. Um, it was developed in the 70s by um, a sports writer, Leonard Coppett, and he thought there was a connection between who won the football championship and how the stock market performed over the course of the last year. And just due in general to the – the rough start we've had, I'd like to see the market straighten out and have a good solid year. Um, but from 1967 to 2015, till 2015, this indicator had an accuracy rate of 82%. So we inherently look at that and say 82%. Well, that's pretty good. Is there really any accuracy to it? Um, and basically what it says, if the winning team is from the NFC, or was in the NFL before 1971 it merged with the AFC. And I never can keep the team straight in the NFL. Like right. Who's in the AFC and NFC? Like baseball, I can figure out who's in the American League and National League, but football, I just can't keep it straight. So I had to look it up. But if the winning team comes from the AFC, the next year will be a bear market. What do you think about that? That means if the Bengals win, it's going to be a bear market. According to this indicator, do you think the indicator's right? <laughs> well, what I like about it, I see eighty-two percent, and you see a lot of NFC teams win the Super Bowl. Um, and we go back; we talked about this uh, last uh, the last show that uh, the media always, you know, goes bonkers during the downturns, but they don't tell you how long the upturns last. I mean, eighty-two percent of the time, the market's going up. If we can devise a plan. Uh, to have you participate um, in there. Uh, but more importantly, let's uh, educate the new people on how often the markets go down. I think there's a big lack of education uh, for investors to expect the markets to go down and respond exactly how they did for you, Roger. Respond in a proactive way where they have their extra spare cash uh, ready to go, or they might have some bonds on the sideline ready to go. They have a five or a 10 year time horizon and they're able to take advantage of this. But uh, yeah, upturns last so much longer than downturns. That's why, you know, you see a number like that. When I saw the 82%, all I thought about is, well, yeah, the market's positive like 82% of the time. Right. I mean, yep. I don't know the exact number, but it's around that. Um, I do want everybody to know that this is not a real predictive measurement of the stock market. It's just something fun to think about. So for those of you that don't have a reason to watch the game or you don't bet or you don't have any you know skin in the game you may still want to get together and have like a family tailgate or a super bowl party i'm just gonna tell you if you're team agnostic your team this year should be the rams although i will tell you i enjoy watching the Bengals. i think they have one of the best young teams young franchises in in the in the country with joe burrow and joe mixon 
Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is so fun to watch, but it's going to be a fun, fun game. I don't know if you have any the, the big receiver. Uh, what's his name? Jamar can, Chase. Yeah. Oh, the other one. Oh, the Cooper bigger, Cup. Yeah, I forget about Cooper yeah. Cup for. Uh, yep. The big receiver for the Bengals too. He's makes some really good catches. The big guy and T uh, Higgins. Yeah, T Higgins. T Higgins. Yep. Tyler Boyd. I mean, they're loaded. Yep. Um, it's going to be a fun game. I can't wait to watch it. I I don't know. Probably get some Buffalo Wild Wings to the house, <laughs> have a wing or two. I know you're always down for a chicken wing. Oh, yeah, always down for a chicken wing for sure. And uh, I, I know another thing, you know, Roger, that we uh, that we talk about with our customers when uh, when things go down and, and people call us and they say, is now a time to buy? And my, my response is always, are, are you a uh, trader or are you an investor? Um, you know, did something happen over New Year's? Did you – did you have a big party over New Year's and automatically switch to be uh, to being a, a trader rather than an investor? And I think that uh, um, working with investors, you have to have a plan first, right? Traders really don't have a plan. They might have one technique, but uh, investors really have some planning uh, that uh, that that they do first. And I think that. Uh, if if you if you're an investor and you may or may not be interested in finances, if you're in the back of your mind, you always tell yourself, "I'm an investor. I'm not a trader." Then you're going to be fine during the downturns. You're going to tune out the the media when they go bonkers, and you're just going to have that time horizon for the upturns. But just a little uh, little bit of advice for people that aren't uh, as interested in this financial stuff but still have portfolios, right? We all have to have portfolios because interest rates are so low. Just tell yourself you're an investor when things go haywire and uh, you're going to be uh, you're, you're going to be a lot more confident just saying that. One thing I've noticed is that people are starting to believe that they can pick individual stocks because over the course of the last 3 years everything's gone up. And one stock in particular went down 25% in a day last week and I had multiple clients call me should I buy this? I want to remind people just because something goes down does not mean it's going to go back up. If you think about the market in general, if it goes down, it'll come back up because you're buying a diversified amount of investment products or, or companies. But if you think just because one company went down one stock that it will come back up, that may or may not happen. Um, and I had, I had one of them reference, uh, a publication he subscribes to by an ex-hedge fund manager. Well, he thinks it's time. Well, you know why he writes a publication now and doesn't run a hedge fund? Because he trailed the S&P 500 by 9% a year from 2010 to 2017. But he uses that that cloak of darkness. I am an ex-hedge fund manager. X should be the key word. He couldn't cut it. Uh, but people think that they can pick stocks. We subscribe to the idea of creating a financial plan to figure out your optimal asset allocation between stocks and bonds, and then by diversified investments. Um, what's the language you always say? What was the language we talked about on the show last week? If someone bought an individual stock, the, the upside down or the backwards language? Yeah, the upside down uh, question to that, which is really easy for people. What's the worst thing that can happen if you don't buy the stock? So Nothing. in other words, personal finances, people are thinking thousand bucks. Well, nothing. <laughs> I still have my 401ks. I'm still good with my money. You know, so there's nothing wrong with not uh, buying that stock. But in the same respect too, Roger, we like to have people um, 
happy with us. We like to have people excited a little bit, not not too excited. If you do have a slush fund um, available and you do want to buy some stocks, I mean that's a that's a part of our our service too. But uh, yeah, what's the worst thing that can happen if you don't if you don't buy this? Stock? I'm going to use that language. If I had this happen with two people in the last week. What do you think? This guy thinks we should buy it. I'm going to use that exact language because you have to have a way to to kind of turn the conversation. Because if I just say, well, you're better off, you know, I'm kind of putting them on the defense or telling them that they're wrong. So I, I really like that language. But right. I feel like people are interested in individual stocks. And here's my take on individual stocks. I had a client ask me how I invest. And I primarily buy index funds or actively managed funds that have performed really well over a long period of time. Do I buy stocks? Yeah, but I buy stocks that I use their utility. And what I mean by is if it's something that I use every day or my wife uses or I believe in, then I'll buy it. I'm not necessarily buying it because I think I'm going to hit a smash home run. I'm buying it because I feel much better about going and spending money at certain places. If I'm a shareholder of the company, you, I don't know if you've watched any of my other shows, Jonas, but it reminds me of the TikTok uh, clip of, uh, it's a guy who goes into uh, AMC movie theaters and he's telling the employee what to do. And he's like, well, you know, I'm the boss because he owns like one share of AMC stock. <laughs> but that's kind of the same way. If I own some of the stock, I feel better about utilizing the company. So that's how, that's how I always base my decisions because I want everybody to realize the smartest people, best stock pickers in the world can't outperform the index after net of fees over a long period of time. Warren Buffett had the bet with the hedge fund guy that he couldn't outperform the S&P 500 over 10 years. Guess who won? Warren the Buffett S &P, won. Yep. The S&P won. Doesn't mean that actively managed investments aren't good. There are funds who've outperformed indexes for 10, 15, and 20 years. It just means very, very, very few people can do it. So why would the average investor believe that they can go pick a winning stock? Oh, you know, absolutely. I always feel like we're at market euphoria when you're taking stock picks from your roofer. When the roofer's like, hey, this is the stock to buy, you know we're in a, some kind of a cycle. What was it, J.P. Morgan? Or somebody uh, got a, a tip uh, from the shoeshine uh, boy in 1929, uh, one, of the, one of the big uh, industrialists like J.P. Morgan. So he, he sold uh, most of his stock after he got this uh, shoeshine Tip, but I would like uh, the average investor just to know what their top 10 holdings are um, in their mutual funds and they do exactly what you said, Roger. If you can identify with what those companies make and you use those products every day. I had this situation. I had uh, one of my customers, uh, um, he, he's, uh, his family battled with, uh, with cancer and he, uh, you know, I, I knew that and uh, I called him up and I said, one of your funds owns Philip Morris. Um, it's, it's performed well, but as your advisor, I just wanted you to know, I know your, your stance on that. Um, and, uh, you know, we could keep that or we could do something different, but, uh, just, uh, it's kind of like checking on the scale. Everybody has, uh, access, uh, to their, uh, mutual funds online, their, uh, their retirement sponsored, uh, uh, company retirement plans and uh, just check out what your top 10 holdings are and make sure that those fit with your lifestyle and what you believe in. If you can't find your top 10 holdings, remember you can delegate this to somebody. So if you want help figuring out what those are, we could run a Morningstar analysis. Just go to btwellshow.com, click ask an advisor, 
There's a button there to do that. Type your question. We'll help you out with it. So that's btwellshow.com. Um, so, Jonas, are you going out for dinner for Valentine's? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, probably. Probably take the whole family somewhere. So and... do you go out actually on Valentine's or do you like go out the weekend before? We get carry out and just have a Valentine's. Yeah, at the so, house, so so we never go on Valentine's because we always feel like, number one, we don't like the limited menu. We don't feel like the food's usually as good because they're serving so many right. more people. So we always go a day or two ahead of time. But it got me thinking, so you do carry out a lot, but we've been talking about inflation this year. What are the prices going to be like for Valentine's Day dinner? So I got a shock the other day. My wife loves king crab. So I go down to Costco the other day because I've been down there in the past. And the last time I bought it was like, 265 bucks for 10 pounds, which it's a lot, but it's kind of one of the things my wife enjoys like once a year. So I'm like, yeah, okay, well, let's go do that. I got to go down there. It's $600 oh for 10 pounds. So I'm like, what in the world is going on? So, you know, the first thing I did is I whipped out the Google calculator because I'm just thinking inflation in general, right? right? And this is the things people don't think about. And it's really not due to inflation. So I've watched the show Deadliest Catch basically since this came out. It's like 20 years running. And last year they were fishing to save the the fishery. So they're all working together because the uh, the nets or the, the work they do preseason to determine how healthy the crab population is couldn't be done because of COVID. So they weren't able to do their normal surveying. So all the they had to catch all of the quota for them to get the fishery back the next year. Apparently, they didn't catch all the quota. And the quota for king crab was slashed 91%, which has caused the price of crab to go from an average of about $26 a pound to $50 to $60 a pound. So it's another whole theory of, hey, inflation kind of creeping its ugly head in ways we have never really right. even thought about. And it was due to the pandemic. If I were to guess, that's all going to change as they get back to normal and they can start doing their survey and reassess the fishery. But got me thinking, Valentine's coming. How much more is Valentine's going to cost people this year versus previous years? Because everything, for the most part, has gotten more expensive. You're you're looking at uh, we're talking about the the steak that went up. Uh, I think the the fillet went up from uh, twelve bucks to or sixteen to twelve bucks to twenty three bucks. Actually, the average price per pound of fillet mignon, which I'm going to guess is going to be on most Valentine's menus at a nice restaurant, is thirty four dollars a pound. Wow! It's increase from last year was one hundred and fifty four percent. And then I'm I'm the chicken wing guy, so I, I'm telling you right now. There's a shortage. Jonas's bag of uh, two and a half pound bag of uh, of chicken wings used to be twelve ninety nine. Now it's nineteen ninety nine. So it made me a little grinchy over the holidays. It's it's making it's making my heart break over Valentine's Day. Well, here's the funny thing about inflation, and people don't realize this because people just think of inflation as prices going up. You want to know what companies actually do? Shrinking. They shrink. They shrink the product. Yep. So, you know, you used to go get a dozen wings for 10 bucks. Now it's like six. Six. So instead of, so you may not actually be seeing the price go up. They're just shrinking the product. Maybe that box of cereal used to have 13 ounces and now it has 11, but they kept the price the same. Inflation's still the same. You just don't realize it because you're going to have to go back to the store more often. 
my girls go through like four boxes of cereal a week. <laughs> I'm like, well, I got to stop buying these little mini boxes. It's like three bowls. I mean, they just love cereal. Um, the average diamond. So if you're going to buy diamonds, 15% increase you over year over year. Roses, 22%. I, I don't usually do roses. I do more of like a bouquet of flowers versus roses. Um, chocolates, near and dear to my heart, 9%. There's only two things that have really went down in this list. Gold's down 1% and silver's down 10%. Yeah, gold gold and silver, you know, went down. What, Roger, you know, I get a lot of chatter about uh, how gold has always been um, a great inflation hedge and, it just seems like this time around, um, if you if you follow you know the gold prices, it just hasn't uh, it hasn't gone up with the way inflation has gone up. Is that uh, is that one of those old uh, I guess um, sayings um, that used to always be true that is no longer true? I mean, is or is gold as a commodity um, have no it has no attachment whatsoever to uh, inflation at this point i don't know if i can make that inference but here's what i'll tell you gold doesn't play pay a dividend it's purely price speculation um since 1990 this is through 2000 price of gold's increased 360 percent. so that's a 30-year period of time over the same period of time the dow jones industrial gained 991 percent. so three times the return so it's funny I listen to the radio. I turn it on. Gold, this is the safe investment. It's a safe investment that underperformed by 600%. You're right. If you think about that, if you told somebody, yeah, I'm going to get two investments, one will make 600% more. Which one do you want? My coach uh, in Las Vegas, he always has these good uh, sayings. Um, he always likes the saying, rising income beats rising prices. You know, exactly what you said. Um, if you own some stocks that pay some really nice dividends in your mutual funds and uh, you have a plan, you have a one-page financial plan um, to expect when the down, not really when the downturns happen, but how many downturns happen and almost a plan to exploit exploit the uh, the price of that and, and maybe buy in, then uh, you're... Um, you're getting that, that good old fashioned, uh, remedy for the ups and downs of the markets. And that's just a dividend reinvestment, uh, program. And I wish I invented that, but I think that that's been around, uh, since, uh, uh, 1931 or some when Hormel came out with it or, or some of these other companies, but, uh, yeah, rising prices, uh, rising income beats rising prices. Have you been watching the Olympics? A little bit. Yeah. So last night, of course, you know, my daughter and my wife want to watch figure skating, not interested, but I watched a little. And the first gal who was on, born in L.A., skating for China, my wife goes, well, why would she skate for China? And I go, well, number one, if her parents are from there, she's eligible to. I said it's similar to in the NBA. You got a bunch of players from other countries who will go back and play for those countries during, during the Olympics. But I said, maybe it's because many of these countries give big bonuses. If you get a gold medal and Molly put together a great outline and listed some of this. And my wife goes, what do you mean? And I go, Meg, did you know? And I'd read this outline before last night and my wife had no idea. I go, did you know if you win a gold medal for Hong Kong, 
your bonus is $642,000. Wow, that's un- unbelievable. What is it in the U.S.? Did you read this or not? Yeah, I, th- I think it's like uh, they get the it's it's factored into their budget, so it's sixteen or it's thirty seven thousand five hundred. So if you could skate for both countries, which one are you going to skate for? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I told her. I was, well, who are you skating for? You're skating for the one that pays six hundred forty two thousand. And we got to think talking about it, and I'm trying to figure out how. And my wife asked the question. Because the gal wiped out, she fell like three times. I felt really bad for being a dad, thinking about like my, if it was my daughter, how bad I would feel. My wife goes, do you think there's le- this less competitive today? And I said, maybe, and I don't know this. This is just purely me thinking out loud to my wife. I said, maybe it is less competitive because how do you really monetize an Olympic career? You can monetize a golf career unless, you know, unless you're on Wheaties and, I don't even know right. if that happens, but it's a lot harder to monetize a golf or an Olympic figure skating career now than it is something else. So we were just asking. We felt like it was less competitive and maybe wasn't as good as the past. It could have just been what we watched. But I just made me think about this article. My wife just goes, hey, why is she skating for China? I said, well, probably proud of her heritage one, but maybe it's because there's a large monetary incentive there that's not available in the U.S., well, you look at the just uh, maybe more pressure that's created uh, too with that that type of uh, financial uh, payoff uh, and incentive. But uh, you look at uh, um, you know other countries embrace sports that they're nuts about the Olympics. So you know I, I I'm sure that uh, if a, if an athlete does well for their country, I'm sure that they're depending on what their political situation, they go back to their country, they're probably not going to have to worry about money too much for, for a while, right? Does that happen in the U.S., though? I just don't. For how many gold medals are giving out? Right, right. Is it profitable to have an Olympic career? I don't know. I'm sure people like Michael Phelps, but how much money did Michael right. Phelps how make? Many, yep. How many Michael Phelps are there and out then, there? That... And we had this conversation of how much it costs to do this. I think people that become Olympic athletes, their families have spent small fortunes to get them to where they are. My wife goes, well, yeah, they do that baseball and football and that stuff. I said, I think this is different. And I don't know this. I'm just speculating that to go get private skating lessons from an Olympic instructor has to be, (laughs) I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want my daughter involved in this. I just got me thinking, you know, is this less competitive today than it was 30 years ago? Because I remember when I was a kid, we watched, I watched every single part of the Olympics. But then today there's so many more distractions. You've got social media, you've got YouTube, you've got all these other types of media and things that can distract you that, the Olympics just aren't that important. Are your girls watching the Olympics? No, no, you're you're exactly right. This is uh, uh, kind of like what we talked about availability bias. When the Olympics came out, when we were younger, I mean that was the only thing game to watch. in town. Yeah, that was the only game in town. Mm-hmm. Now, now everything else is available. You have uh, uh, most of the time our kids, thirteen and sixteen, are just checking in to see what their friends are doing. The social. Yeah, they're not worried you know. about who's skating or <laughs> no. whatever. Well, Jonas, I appreciate you having, having you on the show again. I'm sure I'm going to have you back in the future. Hopefully we haven't hurt Elias' feelings all that much. Maybe just a little. He's bruised a little, I think, today. <laughs> uh, but with that said, do you have any closing remarks for me? No, this is great. Thanks for everything. And uh, this, is, this has been a lot of fun. And look forward to, to uh, next time.
Great having you on. If anybody would like a copy of either one of Jonas's books, you can go to btwellshow.com. They're an easy read. What are they? 60, 70 pages, right? Yep. 60, 70 pages, really good stuff you can take with you to kind of implement your one own one page financial plan, but reach out to us at btwellshow.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.